Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Okay, so no sooner did the Supreme Court put an end to race-conscious admissions in a college application context that legacy admissions are now under fire. And I don't just mean conversationally, I mean in litigation, because this happened uh, on Monday. A civil rights group is challenging legacy admissions at Harvard saying the practice discriminates against students of color by giving an unfair boost to the mostly white children of alumni. The practice of giving priority to the children of alumni has faced growing pushback in the wake of last week's Supreme Court decision ending affirmative action in higher education. The NAACP has now added its weight behind an effort which was launched on Monday asking more than 1,500 colleges and universities to even the playing field in admissions, including by ending legacy admissions. So this civil rights complaint was filed Monday by Lawyers for Civil Rights. That's a nonprofit in Boston filed on behalf of black and Latino community groups in New England, alleging that Harvard's admission system violates the Civil Rights Act. From the New York Times coverage of this story, many colleges respond by saying that legacy students cement family ties and multi-generational loyalty. And only a few elite colleges have abolished the preference thus far. Part of the argument uh, in support of legacy admissions from the coverage of this story, Vincent Price is the president of Duke. He said in an address to faculty, we're an institution that was made in a family. The idea that you would ban legacy preferences or ban any particular factor as a consideration is troublesome. The Chronicle for Higher Education, uh, pardon me, the Chronicle, meaning the Duke Chronicle, the student newspaper, found that about 22% of first-year students had parents or siblings who attended Duke. So that's what we're talking about here, at least in this isolated instance. 22% of first-year students had parents or siblings who attended that school. Uh, the president of Cornell is Martha Pollack. She did an interview with her campus newspaper in 2018 and said, we're trying to create a Cornell family that goes on for generations. Today's poll question at Smirconish.com is this. Should schools be banned from giving the children of alumni any preference during the admissions process? I guess I should have said children or siblings. Should schools be banned from doing so? Mine's a no vote. I've spoken of this often in the past. I expect I'm going to be in the minority 
on this one, which is okay. I've come to expect it. Uh, my 39th reunion from Lehigh, where I was did my undergraduate work, Lehigh University, wonderful experience. I feel very loyal to South Mountain. My 39th reunion in the class of 1984 was just three weeks ago. Not a milestone, which I think helps me make a point that I, I wasn't clear on when I talked about this last week and the subject of legacy admissions came up. In other words, next year will be a milestone. It'll be my 40th. God, how can that be the case? 40th college uh, graduation reunion. The people who came out for the 39th are hardcore, right? Like 40th is a milestone. 50th, God willing, if we're alive, you know, you'll want to go to your <clears throat> to your 50th. But the people who come out for the 39th are more hardcore. And what occurred to me is that there were a number of my fraternity brothers who came for the 39th. And a, a really high percentage of them, I'm not one of them had sons or daughters who'd followed in their footsteps. My brother was four years ahead of me at Lehigh. Our father obtained a master's. He was not a product of the undergraduate experience, but he obtained a master's at Lehigh. I was admitted as a, a legacy uh, admission. I, re- I remember well, you know, the, the director of admissions, Dr. Samuel Missimer, giving me the the interview and feeling good about it when I walked out the door like it had gone well for me. But it was a stretch for me. I always performed poorly on standardized tests. I got my act together for, for law school, but that's because I invested the money and went to Stanley Kaplan at a time when not everybody was taking Stanley Kaplan or some other prep service. But my SATs, and I took them several times, I, I can't tell you that I just had a bad Saturday morning in my junior year. I had several bad Saturday mornings in my junior year, probably the start of my senior year as well. So I know that I was I, I was aided by the fact that my brother was there and probably to a limited extent, uh, my father in terms of getting his master's. But th- this is the point that I wanted to make. And I, I wanted all of our four. I, I would have loved for any of them to end up at Lehigh. Just wasn't in the cards for any of them. And frankly, I probably pushed too hard. But what occurred to me at the 39th reunion was that the hardcore who were there who had such a high, I wish I could tell you in specific numbers, like, okay, there were 20 of us, and here's the number of them who had a son or a daughter who went there. I don't know those numbers, but it was a high percentage. It occurred to me, they are the ones who show up in a non-milestone year. And guess what? They are the ones who participate in the alumni activity. They are the ones who are going to write a check. They really are the backbone of the university. In other words, the, the, the whole legacy aspect, I keep reading, get it being derided as just some like white privilege thing. Well, guess what? When, when Asians and blacks and other minorities are similarly alumni, it'll be their kids who are the beneficiary. It, it's not something that inherently benefits only whites as affirmative action has boosted the number of minority Students who are admitted to schools, their children, too, will be the beneficiary of legacy admission. And I think that legacy admission does maintain, as the president of Duke said or the president of Cornell said, 
the notion of a family and a sense of loyalty that is going to drive out those who will come to the reunion in the 39th year rather than just waiting for the 40th. They're not fair-weather fans. Real Clear Education had an essay. I went looking this uh, extended weekend for things that have been written on this subject from a supportive perspective of legacy admissions, because I just see legacy admissions being derided everywhere. And I think there are arguments, and I'm trying to make some of them, uh, in support of it, that maybe people are, are, are afraid. I mean, it's just so politically incorrect, like, oh, my God, you're speaking up for legacy admissions? Yes, because I understand what it does in terms of, of providing a support level that otherwise wouldn't exist for universities. I need to take a break. I want to come back and talk more about this and, and see if I'm alone. Anyone else want to help me make the case for legacy admissions? This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. Anthony DeMauro wrote an essay for Real Clear Education in 2020, making the case, even though he was not himself admitted because of legacy status, but making the case for legacy admissions in a couple of paragraphs that caught my eye. The benefits of legacy admissions are, to a certain degree, about money. That's not necessarily a bad thing. At elite universities where the average income of graduates is in the upper strata, the generous gifts of legacy's parents, such as funds for special research, can be sizable. 
Granted, when a donor with a child enrolled in their alma mater gives to the school, it's hard to discern whether they gave money solely because of a legacy admission or for other reasons. But it's also not hard to understand that a parent with a child at their university is more likely to be engaged there than anywhere else. And that engagement can go beyond a donation. For example, alumni with enrolled children might be more inclined to be involved in the Campus Career Center, serving as mentors for students currently enrolled or assisting them in obtaining coveted positions in their field. I, that's all true. I, I told you that, oddly, not for Lehigh, but for my law school, uh, I've conducted for the last five years interviews for, for students who are seeking to gain admission. This is at Penn. And I've done probably three to five interviews for the last five years. I do it. Why? Because I want to give back. Because that school also has been good to our family and our family wants to be good to that school. It's another reason, you know, in terms of, of establishing this bond, I think, where you're just not getting your four years or your grad school and, and punching a, a clock and, and, and going about something else. Audra, help me make this case. You're in New Albany, Ohio. On legacy admissions, you wanted to say what? Yes. Can you hear me clearly? I can. Go ahead. Awesome. So um, I went to a state school in New Jersey. And for my graduate studies, I went to Columbia. And affirmative action allowed me to get there, which now I can create a legacy opportunity for my daughter. So I just wanted yes. to just point that out, that yeah. yes, if we can get in, it's great. But I think what's missing is we can't really get in to some of these places. And thank God I was able to get in, and now I can join the conversation. So I don't think it, banning isn't going to do anything, because there'll be another way to do it. I just think we need to talk about it's just it's not equal. And if we yeah, can you're, say I mean, that, you're, it's okay. Right, you're, it, like, it would be a bad time for Audra to now do away with legacy admissions because hopefully Audra will have children who might similarly be interested in going to Columbia. And, and, and why shouldn't they get an, just a, a second look is how I would describe it. A second look because yes. mom got her degree there. Charles, you're in Dover, Mass. What did you most want to say? Good morning, Michael. I wanted to call in because I chair a local uh, university's D1 athletic program. And as an alum, I fundraise quite a bit. And the people who like to be generous with their alma mater are people who are very enthusiastic about their experience at the universities. And when their kids are ready to go to school, they want them to go to this university. And we're talking about balance sheet issues with these schools. And we have to remember, these schools, these private universities and public universities, are businesses. They run money to basically educate the kids. And if we do away with legacy admissions, those billions of dollars that run through the coffers of these universities is going to slow down to a crawl. Charles, can I say that uh, we paid full freight for each of our four, and I was stunned to find from one of the education experts, there are a number of them who've been on the, the program um, but I was stunned to find that most students in an undergraduate environment have some form of aid. And then it occurred to me, 
you know, be by paying full freight, we've enabled others to be the beneficiary of of that type of aid. And when you fundraise for an athletic program, you too are providing that kind of opportunity. And I think it's all intertwined with the legacy uh, loyalty that flows from this much, you know, derided program. Case in point, uh, family friends that I grew up with, two of the three kids were very much able to go into the father's alma mater, which I'll name, Princeton University. One of the kids did not get in. And he was a excelled uh, student as an under uh, as a uh, secondary school. He later became a doctor, very successful doctor. The father said, "No more money for Princeton." So that's what happens when legacy students who are capable of getting in, for families who can pay full freight, don't get into the schools. The yep. money stops flowing. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. Thanks. Thanks for uh, sharing that story. I really appreciate it. Johnny, you're in Birmingham, Alabama. On the subject of legacy admissions, you wanted to say what? Well, Michael, uh, you know, listen to your commentary on it. I uh, 100 I would be 100 percent fine with the legacy admissions. But it seems to me you're you're making a case. Uh, and, and, and maybe you're for affirmative action. I'm, I'm not exactly sure where you stand on it. But if, you, if you're if you saying legacy admissions are fine and, you know, listen, I struggled, you know, with test taking and, you know, had it not been for the legacy, I may not have gotten in. But I got in and did fine and graduated and now I'm, you know, successful and contributing back to the university. If you're making that case, if you're making that same case, for affirmative action, then I, I've got no problem with it. But now I, I don't know where you stand. I don't think I've you you know, if you if okay. Let me if, let me cut to the chase. Of that. Let me let me cut yeah. to the chase. You want you want to okay. know you want to know if I think it's okay for race to be a factor in college admissions, and my direct answer is yes, I do. I'm I'm totally fine with that. And I think that the impact of what the Supreme Court did last week is simply to shift the focus from checking a box to expressing in an essay what your background is going to be. We are not going to remove it from the process, and nor should we, because because as a father of, you know, four white students, I don't want them at an only white institution. I think everybody benefits from a very diverse experience. It would be a shame for all of I, us if the college I, I, campuses were monolithic. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And, I just, uh, I just wanted, to, I wanted to come on air today. Thank you, Johnny. I'm sorry if I cut you short. I I wanted to come on air today and say that I've been reading a great deal since the Supreme Court made its determination in the affirmative action case. And a lot of it has been derisive of legacy admissions like like, okay, you know, you you took out what was benefiting black and Hispanic students. So we're now going to turn the table and go after the white students and the advantage that they have. Have more whites benefited from legacy admissions than minorities? For sure. But why would we close the door now when so many minorities have been accepted and they too could be the beneficiary of of a legacy process? And by the way, I'm not for I'm not for, you know, the, the, the weak student getting a big leg up. But as a tiebreaker, I think it's perfectly acceptable, and there's a reason to do it, which is beyond whatever racist uh, initiation or or original purpose it may have had. Like if legacy, if the purpose, I don't know, but it's conceivable. 
It's conceivable that legacy admissions back in the day were conceived as a way of limiting the access of other types of students to get in. I'm not for that. But I am supportive of the idea of recognizing the loyalty that flows from it. TC, how, how am I doing? How, how bad is the voting at Smirconish.com? <laughs> okay, so you're asking, should schools be banned from giving the children of alumni any preference during the admissions process? Uh, 12,449 votes already. So people are very interested in this. And you are correct that you're in the minority. Would you like to know the split? Yes. Okay. So yes, 62.24%. No, 37.76%. Frankly, higher than I thought it would be. Well, and, and listen, a lot of people, I can't control this. A lot of people are voting based on the newsletter distribution without hearing the arguments that I'm making, I'd like to think that I'm, I'm at least boosting the case. Swaying, swaying. Yeah, I'd like to think I'm, I'm, I'm holding a little bit of sway with, with some folks. Maybe not. Got Maybe it. not. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest Internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and Internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. A comment appended to a New York Times story on exactly this subject, legacy admissions uh, from someone who identifies themselves by initials, HTR. I was the first person in my family to attend an Ivy League. I left school with a BA, MA and PhD with only $5,000 of debt. My parents paid almost nothing for my education, $100 here or there. It does not escape me that this gift of a free education was possible in part because of legacies. 
The stability and money that they bring has helped the Ivy Leagues to accept students whose only assets are intellectual and academic. Legacy admits are generally more than academically capable. Many get into schools like Berkeley that are half the price. Their families often choose to pay full price to carry on a tradition, and people like me benefit. Amen. That's exactly what I was trying to say before the break. Phil, you're on Long Island. Quickly, you most wanted to say what? Sure. Uh, something you struck me that you said about, uh, you said as more Asian alumni uh, become, become alumni of the schools, they'll, they'll, they'll be in position to support the school. But if, as you saw from the case, these schools are working hard to make sure that the number of Asian alumni is reduced. And so I think it, you really, you know, that was kind of, uh, you know, what wasn't accurate to say that, you know, that there'd be more Asian alumni going forward with race-based admissions. Well, I think with race-based admissions removed, the number of Asians will increase, right? The, the number exactly. These schools are working very hard to reduce the number of Asian students uh, as a proportion of their classes and yeah, I, thereby I reducing the number of Asian alumni. Right. I don't know that they're working hard to reduce. It's like, oh, you know, we've got to keep these Asian numbers down. I, I think the reality is, if you really want to have the conversation, that the talent, the talent pool of Asian students is so exceptional and so deep that they could probably fill every slot. I, I remember when the dean of Harvard admissions said to me, I could fill this entire incoming class. He didn't say with Asians, but he said, I, I, I could fill it uh, two times over and no one would ever know the difference. Such is the level or pool of talent that is out there wanting to come to this school. Gino, Montgomery, Alabama, you most wanted to say what? Yeah, I think the activists now are targeting legacy. They're targeting the wrong thing. Schools didn't just randomly decide to end affirmative action. It was a Supreme Court decision. So those activists need to redirect that energy and find a way to work around that ruling. And in the case of African-Americans who are upset about that, support HBCUs. Right. That's all I have to say. It's a good, it's a good point. And I, I come back to what, what, if, what if I'm an African-American graduate of, of a prestigious school and whether I was a beneficiary of affirmative action or not. It's like I'm black and I graduated from school X, Y, or Z. And now I've got kids. Wait a minute. You're, you're turning off the tap of legacy admissions just when finally I can be a beneficiary of that? That doesn't seem right. Chris, you're in Atlanta. Greetings. What did you most want to say? Hey, yeah, Mike. Uh, uh, Michael, I, I think you've opened Pandora's box now. I think it's one of those things where... Uh, as far as legacies coming to coming to schools, this thing is going to be, you know, you're going to have lawsuits out the wazoo now at this point with folks wanting to, to, to level the playing field. You, you can't have, you know, some kids being, you know, not let in because of, you know, hey, we don't see race. But then on the flip side, hey, it's okay because these guys are legacies. Their grandparents, grandparents went there. Here's the deal, Michael. Here's the deal. To, to the guys that just said, hey, just go to HBCUs. It's a systematic undercutting of, you know, black and brown folks going to school. Here's the deal, right? There's an AG in Missouri that's trying to get rid of financial aid towards minorities. You, you, you want HBCUs to thrive where there's a systematic defunding of HBCUs in my state and states all around the southeast. So it's, it's not just, hey, they've taken affirmative action. It's a bigger deal where they're, they're trying to, you know, make sure schools stay you know, white, 
and oh yeah, we want the top talent and we want the athletes to come here, so we'll open it up for those guys. We'll make sure the NIL and those guys can get there. But everybody else, yeah, you know, let's keep the numbers to 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 where it's safe because we don't want generations to to. So let me let me know, take the, the final. Let me take the fi- thank you, Chris. Let me take the final word. The, the final word, and and I talk a good game. I couldn't live it. I couldn't live it for myself, and I couldn't live it for our kids. But I, I talk a good game, and what I'm about to tell you is the truth. They're going to be fine wherever they go, and and we'd all be in a better place. And so too would our kids if we could get off the hamster wheel of trying to get them into that school and that school and that school and that school and take this course and and go go to you know ice hockey practice at four o'clock in the morning on a Saturday because that might be your hook. Like holy crap, man! It's totally out of control. The kids are going to be just fine. The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.